Well, today, we are continuing our study of the most famous chapter in the Bible, Psalms 23. It is the most compact explanation of who God is. In those six verses of Psalms 23, you find 12 benefits or 12 characteristics of God that helps you and I walk through uncertain times. So I thought we'd read all six verses. Let's go for it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a banquet for me in front of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, there's a lot of metaphors in these six verses, but the one that jumps out is that of a shepherd, that God is our shepherd who is there for us in times of uncertainty. And we're going to take a look Today, this morning, at the God of comfort, in verse 4, where it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what in the world does that mean? What is a rod, and how does a rod comfort me? What is a staff, and how does a staff comfort me? What do these two sticks symbolize, and what are their benefits? In order to answer those questions, I need to give us just a little bit of background. The rod and the staff were ancient tools of shepherds. The rod was a defensive tool to fend off predators, and the staff was used on sheep. Now, I want to explain to us how these tools were used physically and how they actually are symbols in two ways of God's comfort towards us. First, what were these tools used for? Will you write this down? I hope you got your notes out because you're going to need to do a little filling in the blanks here. First, write this down. A rod is a tool used for guarding and protecting the sheep. As you've heard me say before, sheep are defenseless. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws. They can't run fast. Somebody's got to protect them. And the rod is a defensive tool to accomplish that. Write this down. A staff is a tool to guide and protect. We all know this, I'm sure, that sheep have a tendency to wander. And a shepherd's staff is to guide and to direct. In fact, a shepherd's staff has a little hook to it. You've probably seen them. And they would use that hook to pull a sheep from falling off of a cliff if it was getting too close, or if it was in a a thorn bush to to pull that uh, sheep out of that thorn bush. And so a staff was a tool of recovery, and the rod was a tool of protection. So that's what these tools literally were used for. What is the symbolic meaning of these 
two tools. What's, what's the metaphor behind these two physical tools? Will you write this down? The rod represents power and authority. I, it's saying, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I have the power and I have the authority. And the staff represents care and compassion. Will you write that down? Now, a lot of times you would see this in kings or in pharaohs. Maybe you have seen a, a picture of uh, King Tut, of his uh, of his uh, uh, tomb or whatever it was, okay, his coffin, and you would see his arms crossed. And in one hand, there would be a rod called a frail, okay? And in the other hand, there would be this staff. With both of those things, in essence, it's communicating, guess what? I'm in charge. I have the authority over my nation. And... I care and I have compassion for my people. So that's what, metaphorically, these two tools are saying to us. Now, what in the world does that have for, for, uh, what in the world does that mean for you and me with COVID-19 and everything else that's going on in our life? How do I get comfort from these things? Well, first, we have to understand what kind of shepherd we have. Hebrews 13.20 says this, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Will you circle that phrase, great shepherd? He is called the great shepherd. He is called the chief shepherd. He is called the good shepherd. And what is it that shepherds do? They protect and they care. There is a whole chapter in the gospel in John chapter 10 that describes Jesus's ministry of caring and protecting his sheep. A sheep symbolically are his people. And the church is described as the flock of God. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says this as, as the good shepherd, as the chief shepherd, as the great shepherd. I came so that my sheep will have life and everything they need. I am the, God, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Now, if we are his sheep and he is our shepherd, what does that mean? Well, just as a physical shepherd used physical tools to care for the sheep, to direct and protect, to, to guide and to guard. God wants to use both of these to help us know that he is a God of comfort and that he is out after our good. That he will guide us and that he will guard us. That he will direct us and that he will protect us because he is a God of comfort and he's after our good and our comfort. Today, I want us to take a look at Jesus' words and how he wants to treat you if you'll trust him. The first thing that we learn from Jesus' own mouth about this, that he is a God of comfort, is this. If I bring him my hurts, 
Jesus shows me compassion. When I come to God and I say, God, I've got problems in my life with my finances, with my family, with my career, my relationships. God, I am really hurting here. I am uptight. I am anxious. I am at my wit's end. Understand this, that God does not scold you. He serves you. He doesn't hassle you about it. He heals you. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus said this. When Jesus saw the crowds, his heart was filled with compassion for them because they were hurting and didn't know where to, help, where to get help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let me just say this. How you look at people determines a lot. It determines a lot about what is going on in your heart. And I need to be honest with you. When I am in a crowd, like, like a sporting event, and I don't know, there's 100,000 people at, at the Cowboys football game, I look at that crowd as an inconvenience, as an irritation, as a lack of privacy, as delay. But the Bible says when Jesus looked at the crowds, he was moved with compassion because he saw them as hurting and helpless and hopeless without a shepherd. Now, what does that mean? What does compassion mean? Well, you've got to know the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy means, I'm sorry that you're hurt. Empathy means, I hurt with you. I'm not only sorry that you're hurt, but I hurt with you. Compassion is the combination of both of those things. You see, when Jesus looked at people, he felt compassion for them. He just didn't feel sorry for them, but he said that he would hurt with them. In other words, he would do anything to relieve their pain, even if it meant going to the cross and dying for, for them. Folks, that's, that's compassion. In Matthew 20, 28, he tells us why he came. Look at this verse. I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Will you circle those two words? Circle the word serve and circle the word give. Giving and serving define the Christian life. If you don't serve and if you don't give, how in the world can you be following Jesus? Because, folks, that's what he came to do. He came to serve and he came to give. Now, here is the paradox of this verse when it comes to your relationship with God. And I want you to listen to this. Life is not about you and where you're at right now. It is about God and it is about other people. But when it comes to your when it comes to God's relationship with you, it's about you. It's the opposite. He came to earth for you. He came to die for you. 
He came to suffer and sacrifice for you. God is unselfish, and he wants you to be unselfish. He wants you to be like him. He just doesn't want you to sympathize with people. Folks, understand this. He wants you to empathize with your neighbors that are laid off. And he wants you to enter into that. He wants you to give and he wants you to serve. And we as Christians have a great opportunity to do that. And you're going to be hearing more about that in the future. Secondly, if I bring my hurt to him, he not only gives me compassion. But, number two, will you write this down? If I choose to follow him, Jesus leads me in the right path. He's not going to lead me in the wrong path. No, he's going to lead me in the right path. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to, let's say, England. My wife and I have been to England. I don't know if you've ever been to England and had a tour guide. But if you have, you learn more about the country than if you had gone on your own by yourself. Because there are things about the country you are not going to get by yourself that you will only get as the result of a tour guide. And so having one means that you learn more, you see more, and you experience more. The same is true in life. The same is true right now with everything that's going on in our world personally and globally, right? You need a guide. Without a guide, without a shepherd, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. Because the shepherd knows more than the sheep. Always. The shepherd always knows more than the sheep. Jesus knows more about you and your situation that you're going through than you know yourself. Why? Because he's created you. He made you. He knows what your purpose is. And when you are in a situation scratching your head, what in the world is going on with the world that I'm living in right now? I don't know what in the world I should do. Guess what? Your shepherd knows We've talked about this verse. I love it. Psalms 23.3. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Now, how does he do that? Well, in John 10.4, about Jesus' ministry, caring and protecting for the sheep, comforting them, he says this, the good shepherd walks ahead of the sheep and they follow him for they recognize his voice. Will you circle the words, walks ahead? In shepherding, the shepherd always is in front. He's the model. He's the mentor. He leads by example. This is very different for cowboys that come out of Texas, okay? Cowboys, guess what? They drive cattle. Shepherds, they lead cattle. Cowboys are in the rear, Shepherds are in the front. Now, here's my point in bringing this out. Jesus isn't going to push you through life like a cowboy. He's not going to push you into doing things that you don't want to do. But as a shepherd, he is going 
to lead you. He is going to say to you, watch how I do it. And we're going to be doing that on June 7th. Because a good shepherd models first on how it's done. And what that does for us is that makes life a whole lot easier. And if you will follow Jesus' example, he will lead you in the right direction. Now, you might ask the question, how do you know that, Pastor George? Well, take a look at this verse in Psalms 26.3. Your constant love is my guide. Your faithfulness always leads me. I told you to get your pens out, so I want you to write this down. Because here's the truth of this verse. He leads me with love and not laws. He leads me with love and not laws. One of the big reasons that people are afraid of God and and allowing him to be the leader and them following is because they think God's going to ask them to do the 10 things that they hate to do the most in substitute for the 10 things they like to do the most. And yet the Bible says he leads us with his love, not rules, regulations, and rituals. Folks, that's how a good shepherd is to lead. The third thing is this. Well, Pastor George, what happens if if I choose Jesus as my follower? And I'm following him, but I wander off, okay? I, I, I get confused and I wander off. Well, this is the third thing that he does. Will you write this down? If I get confused and I wander off, Jesus finds me and brings me back. Jesus says some specific things about this. Take a look at Matthew 18, 12. Jesus said, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 safe sheep to go search for the lost one? Well, of course he would, okay? Why? Because sheep matter to the shepherd. And you matter to God. He says, if I have 100 sheep and 99 of them are safe, or let's say they're saved, and there's one sheep that's lost, that's unsaved, he says, I'm going to go after him. What I just said to you is the heartbeat of LifePoint Church. As long as there is one person who is lost, who is unsaved, guess what? We're after him. We want to grow our church. I am so glad in one sense for COVID-19 because it has helped us develop a totally, not necessarily new tool, but perfected this tool of online. And you want to know something? We're seeing people come to know Christ through it. We want to grow, not for our benefit, but for others. People need the Lord. And as long as there is one person who is lost, who is unsaved, guess what? We're after them. 
I really believe that a church that doesn't want to grow, that doesn't want to show compassion to their neighbors, is in essence telling their neighbors and the world, you guys can just go to hell. We don't really care. And I have a hard time with that. It truly takes an unselfish church to reach people. And they do so because they know every person matters. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 19.10. I came to seek and save those who are lost. That is why Jesus came to earth. He came to give and to serve. And he came to seek and to save. Jesus is on a rescue mission of searching and seeking to save. Now think about that for a moment. Just think about that in light of Jesus. Think about that in light of maybe yourself. In regards to Jesus, if we weren't lost, folks, he wouldn't have come. If he knew that we could kind of figure out how to work our way to God by ourselves, folks, he wouldn't have come and he wouldn't have died on the cross. Honestly, if there was any other way If there was an easier way, don't you think that God would have thought of it? Well, sure he would have. But it wasn't possible. You and I can't save ourselves. And so he had to come. And he had to live a perfect life. And he had to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. So that in believing in him, we could exchange our guilt for his goodness. Our sorrows for his salvation. Our our pain for his peace. I love this out of Isaiah 53. I think I read this on Mother's Day. I can't remember. One day flows into the next. Have you noticed that with this COVID stuff? All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of of us all. It is our human nature to get confused and to wander off. Why? Because we're like sheep. Those of us who are parents and have had kids, we know them to be like sheep, do we not? They have a tendency to get lost. Let me put it like this. Let me ask you this way. Do you have to teach your kids to to get lost? No, you don't. I mean, we don't send them to, to preschool. Now, this is how you get lost. No, they just naturally know how to get lost. Let's say at a mall. It is in our nature to wander off and to get lost. In fact, right now, you may feel that you're lost. I don't have the slightest idea what to do with my life as we are coming out of COVID-19. Not that we're over it. We're not, okay? But, but come I mean, what am I going to do? I don't have a job. I just feel lost. I mean, even right now, what about school? I don't know what to do about school. Some of you may be thinking, well, maybe I need to move back home. Should I move or should I stay? 
Should I hold on to this relationship or should I let this go? Guess what? Those thoughts, those questions, those feelings that you have are feelings of being lost. And that's because you don't have a guide. Or if you do, you're not dependent upon him. Now let me go back to that story of that lost kid. We, most of us parents, have been there. Your kid is lost at the mall. When you find your kid and you settle down physically, heart and throat back down into the chest, and emotionally, you don't come up to your kid and say, it was no big deal. No, that was okay. Don't worry about it. No, you didn't do that. I guarantee you that. You talked to them. You corrected them. You instructed them. You gave them a warning. Why did you do that? Because you are thinking of their long-term comfort. You love them. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. Kids need direction and they need training. So too in our relationship with God. He disciplines you. He, he, he talks to you. He corrects you. Why? For your long-term comfort. Take a look at Psalms 119, verses 67 and 68. I used to wander off until you, Lord, disciplined me. But now I closely follow your word. You are good and you only do good. So train me in your principles. Now I want to clear up something. And I want you to write this down. Discipline is not punishment. Punishment is when you pay a penalty for something in the past, and most of the time it's done out of anger. Discipline is when you train and correct for the future, and it's done out of love. Sometimes a physical shepherd would have a sheep that would just wander off, and it would either have to put a splint on its leg, some wood, and wrap it with gauze or something so it wouldn't wander off. Or sometimes it would have to break the leg. And it would do that not out of anger, but out of love. Because it didn't want the, the little lamb, the little sheep, to get lost and to be eaten by a mountain lion. Sometimes God does that to us. He gives us a limp so that we don't wander off, so that we stay close to the shepherd, so that we stay dependent upon the shepherd. And he does so not out of punishment, but rather out of discipline. Punishment is a penalty for the past done out of anger. Discipline is training and correction for the future done out of love. Now, sometimes when that happens to us, maybe even like a COVID-19 thing, we begin to, to think 
a tempting thought. God must not love me. He must be punishing me for something that I've done wrong in my past. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to listen to this very carefully. God never punishes his children. He disciplines them. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, God put Jesus on the cross and he punished him for your sin. And if he punished you again for your sins, that's called double jeopardy. And that would mean that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient. And we know that it was. Because Jesus said when he was on the cross, it's finished. One and done. And so if you are his child, just forget that thought that he's punishing you. He's disciplining you to train you for your future that you might have comfort. God never punishes his kids. He does discipline them for their good. Take a look at Psalms 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. What is an affliction? Well, it could be many things. It could be an emotional affliction. It could be a financial affliction. It could be a physical affliction. It could be a relational affliction. What David is doing here in this psalm is he is looking back and he's saying, it was good that I was disciplined because guess what? I know something that I didn't know before and I'm glad I know it now. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. C.S. Lewis said it like this, God whispers to us in our pain, but he shouts at us or he whispers to us in our comfort, and he shouts at us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. And maybe God is using COVID-19 to shout at you. You need to pay more attention to your kids. To shout at you. You know what? Community in church is more valuable than what you thought. He shouts at you. You need to work on your marriage. He does this because he loves you. And he wants you to have comfort in your future. Now going back to Psalms 119, 67 and 68, it says, I used to wander off until you, Lord, disciplined me. But now I am closely follow, or but now I closely follow your word. You are good and you only do good. We got a good shepherd. So train me in your principles. How is it that you and I can keep from wandering off with preventable problems? I say this, understand first yourself, okay, that we're sheep, we're easily confused, but do so as you realize that, get in to God's word and be in biblical community because we're better together more than we realize. 
So, if I bring Jesus my hurt, he will show me compassion. If I follow Jesus, he's going to lead me in the right path, and my life's going to be simpler. If I get confused and wander off, he's going to redirect me, and he's going to bring me back, because he seeks and he saves. Number four, will you write this down? If I fall or fail, and who doesn't? Jesus rescues me and he recovers me. Like all sheep, we wander off, we stumble, and we do it on a regular basis. So how does God respond? Our good shepherd, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, how does he respond when we fail, when we fall, when we stumble? Well, take a look at Matthew 12. 11 and 12. Jesus said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, that's a day of rest. That's kind of like your day off. Will you not rescue it and lift it out? How much more valuable is man than a sheep? Jesus says, common sense tells you that you are going to rescue that sheep. Even if it's your day off, even if it is inconvenient, you're going to do that. If that is the case with physical sheep, isn't God going to do that for you when you fail, when you fall? Well, sure he is. Now, what I am about to say if will determine your response to God. When you fall or fail, and remember, we all fall and fail. We all have flops and failures and fumbles in our life, okay? But what I am about to say, it will determine your response to God when you do. And it's this. If you think God will rescue you, that he will use, so to speak, his his shepherd staff with the little hook to kind of pull you back, okay, to rescue you, you will run to him. But if you think that he is going to scold you, you will stay away from him. Now, let me illustrate this. Let's say you are walking down the street and you see a person who has fallen into a 25-foot deep pit. What will be your response? What's your response when you see a person who's in the pits? Who's in the pits emotionally? They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're, I don't know, doubting God, whatever. Or they're in the pits through an addiction, alcohol, or drugs, whatever. What will be your response to someone who is in the pits? Well, it depends on your worldview. The reality is we all operate off of a worldview, and there are five basic worldviews, and I want to share them with you, and I do so not to put them down, but to help you realize the differences. So Buddha is walking by, and he sees you in the pit. What he will say to you is it's all about karma. You get what you deserve. You must have 
bad karma. So you are experiencing those results. Let's say Mohammed walked down the street and he sees you in a 25-foot deep pit. He will say to you, you have violated the dignity of Allah. You have broken his rules. Or let's say a Hindu guru was walking down the street and he saw you in this pit. He would say to you, the pit that you are in is an illusion. You need to get to a higher plane. Or let's say a new ager or a self-helper was walking down the street and he saw you in a pit. He would say to you, you need to reach and grab hold of the divine that is in you. Because what you can conceive in your mind, you can achieve. So you're in a pit and Buddha comes by and he says, karma. Muhammad comes by and says, you've violated the law of Allah. A Hindu guru comes by and he says, it's an illusion. A new ager comes by and he says, you're God. You just need to dream some wings and you need to fly out of it. But then Jesus comes by and he says this. Can I give you a hand to get out? Can I give you a helping hand? That's being called a savior. And when Jesus came into this world, as broken as it is, with people in the pits, he said, I did not come to judge the world. I came to save it. And that is the savior I serve. He is a savior who has a heart of compassion. Because he wants to give and he wants to serve. And he seeks in order to save that we might have comfort in our lives. There is real suffering in our world. And there is suffering going on now. It's different in every place. We are all going through the same storm, even globally. But folks, we're not all in the same boat. And that's okay. We're in different boats. But to be different doesn't mean you're right and it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means that you're different. And God sees where each and every one of us are at in our suffering, in our grief, in our sorrow. And he doesn't judge us. He just says, can I give a hand to help you out? Now, in order for God to do this, because we live in a broken world, he gives us choice. The suffering that we have in our world, not to lay blame, but the reality is we live in a broken world, and a lot of the brokenness that we experience personally or from others is the result of people making bad choices. And let's admit, we've all made our share. And God could take away that suffering like that. But in order to do that, he would have to take away your freedom to choose. Folks, you and I wouldn't like that. And so he says, it's your choice. 
You can either respond to my love, take hold of my hand, or you can reject my love. It's your choice. The challenge, though, is this. He's given us the freedom to choose, but he has not given us the freedom to choose the consequences. So God allows suffering to teach us, to teach us who we are, to teach us about the world we live in, but maybe most importantly, to teach us who he's really like. Take a look at this verse in Psalm 71, verse 20. You allowed me to suffer a lot, but you will bring me back from this deep pit and give me new life. Why? Because the broken world that we live in, that we have created, it hurts him. And he cares and he wants to save Are you in a pit? Are you in a pit because of the broken world that we live in? When you have Jesus as your shepherd, understand this. You're not on alone. He wants to save you. Take a look at Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. You never need to be afraid of sudden disaster, COVID-19, or hidden troubles, COVID-19 over again, that ensnare the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep you safe and keep your foot from getting caught in a trap. He's like that shepherd with the hook on the end of the staff. He pulls you to safety. The fifth thing and final thing, will you write this down? If I trust him to save me, Jesus keeps me saved. He's the one that keeps us. He's the one that saves us. And by the way, he's the one that keeps us saved. You and I don't keep ourselves saved. That is Jesus' job. And he says, if you will put your hand into his hand, he will not let you go. End of statement, period. That's it. You may try to pull your hand out of his, but he will never let you go. John 10, Jesus' ministry as a shepherd, says this in verse 27 and following. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never die and no one can steal them out of my hand. My father gave my sheep to me. He is greater than all. And no person can steal my sheep out of my Father's hands. There may be times that you are going through right now that you may doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. And you may want to pull out of God's hands. He will never let you go. Even in your doubts. That is called grace. And Jesus has the power to keep us. Look at 2 Peter 1.3. Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us everything that we need to live 
and serve God. We have these things because we know him. My question to you is this. Who is your shepherd? Are you in God's flock? If you're not in God's flock, I can't think of a better time to make him your great shepherd, your chief shepherd, your good shepherd. Because what you put into his hands, kind of like Allstate, you are in good hands. He will never let go. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But before we do, we're going to take the offering. We're going to pass the plate, okay? And you can do that by texting to 73256. Yes, I got it right. 73256. And you can type in Life Point Church. And you can give your offerings to the Lord. And if you need community, you can text 94,000. If you need prayer, you can text 94,000. If you need to talk with someone, you can text 94,000. You'll see it on the screen. I just want you to get what you need. So let's pray. If you need to have Jesus as your shepherd, now's your time. Let's pray. If you want to be in God's flock and put your life, your whole life, the past, the present, and even the future into his hands that he will gently care for but never let go, will you just simply say this in your heart? God, I want you as my shepherd. And I thank you that you came to give your life for me. Not in a pushy way, but in a loving way that I might follow you the rest of my life. And right now, God, I'm following you. I'm dropping you from my head to my heart. Thank you that you are my great shepherd. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to text 94,000 New Start and let us know. We want to help you. Lord, you're good. We thank you. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray.